heroes, and welcome to another exciting episode of One Shot. I'm James D'Amato, your Game Master. This week we'll be playing Jason Pitt's Sig, a different take on the classic D&D concept of planescapes. Using the engine from Pitt's Spark system, Sig builds narrative around shifting beliefs and philosophies. It allows shared control over the narrative, blurring the traditional lines between player and GM. But before we get to that, I'd like to remind everyone that One Shot has a few conventions coming up. Metatopia in Morristown, New Jersey, November 3rd through 6th, and a Catacon in Dayton, Ohio, November 11th through 13th. And we're also going to be streaming some cool stuff from the Peach Pit through the end of October. Thursday the 20th at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, we're previewing Jason Morningstar's Ghost Court. Part party game, part RPG, combining everything you love about Judge Judy, Maury, and ghosts. Ghost Court is on Kickstarter now, and you'll be able to watch me and some of the other talented improvisers at One Shot play through it live on Thursday. Sunday, October 23rd, starting at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, we'll have our first one-shot cage match event, where we'll be streaming a marathon of Pandemic Reign of Cthulhu on hard mode, with me, Allie Barthwell, Mel Fox, and Adel Rafai, until we win. If we can't beat the game even once by 5 p.m. that day... I will dye my hair a color voted on by the one-shot heroes viewing the stream. Thursday, October 27th, Mel Fox will be taking over the stream to play a game of her own choosing. And she has not chosen it yet. Finally, Sunday, October 30th at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, we're gearing up for Halloween by inviting local paranormal investigation team, the Ghost Trackers, into the studio to contact Haints and Spookums using a cursed spirit board. Finally, before we get to the episode, I'd like to take a moment to thank our backers on Patreon. Michael Mercedes, thank you. Melissa Evans, thank you. Adam Navaran Everett, thank you. Carlos Oval, thank you. Anthony Higginson, thank you. Jolene Haley, thank you. Colin Stark, thank you. Sean Kelly, thank you. Brandon Metcalf, thank you. Jacob Popanek, is that how do you think? Jacob Popanek? Yeah. Thank Jacob Jacob Popanek. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jacob. Carl William, thank you. Sal Espinoza, thank you. Datton RD, thank you. Steve Knott, thank you. Matt Seahoff, thank you. Laura hmm. Oh, I know how to say this one, Kat. You go for it. That's Laura Ewing. Thank you. <laughs> Brian Thomas. Thank you. Ross Papa. Thank you. Patrick Brannick. Thank you. Robert Millar. Thank you. Foxy Boxing. Thank you. Foxy Boxing. <laughs> it's good. All right. We acknowledged that. <laughs> oh, William Kirkby. Wow, thank William you. William Kirkby. Thank you so much. Uh, William also helped us with NPC. Samwise Crider. Thank you. Thanks again to all of our backers on Patreon. You make what we do possible. And with all that out of the way, let's get to the show. We are all right, heroes, before we get started on SIG, I want to go around the table real quick and introduce our players. First up, a voice that is definitely familiar to you because he ran one of the most popular series on the One Shot Network, and that is P.K. Sullivan. Hey, James. Welcome to be back. Uh, welcome to be back. Ooh, already off to a rough start for PK. Dude, thank you so much for coming back, despite what I know must have been a harrowing experience. That was the first playtest. First ever playtest of the Three Rocketeers. For what, what we know now is a very successful game, though. Yeah, it's been doing great. A lot of... Uh lot of great fan response. My favorite thing is somebody has hacked it to do a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. Hmm. 
Oh man, I like that a lot. Yeah, it uh, it's super super cool, uh, and I'm actually going to be playing that with some friends, hopefully sometime soon once I get everything scheduled out. That's awesome. So, have you sent a thank you fruit basket to James Dugan yet? For... I have not. No, <laughs> no. Uh, Dugan is sort of my uh, my Newman to my Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> so uh, it even works really well. Like Dugan. Yeah, Just, it's a uh, it's a great Dugan. exhortation. Oh, that that's perfect. And I I can attest. Recently, James Dugan was wounded uh, when driving a mail truck over a sewing machine, and uh, the road set fire. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, like, it's really weird and coincidental how that worked out. Mm. But with that, I think we got to ask you our important question, because SIG is uh, very reminiscent of Planescape. There's a lot of interplanar interaction and politics. So I have to ask you, PK, what is your favorite fictional or real plane of existence? Uh, This is a great question, because I am actually playing in a Planescape campaign for the first time ever. Oh, wow. Um, And I have to say my favorite one is the Beastlands uh, because I am playing a druid in a 5th edition game and our GM sent us to uh, the Outer Plains and in our downtime let us go out and explore. And my druid went off to the Beastlands to learn many new and terrifying beast shapes. Yes. Oh, that's great. That's great. With that, I think it's time to move on to our other player who... Jay, is this your first time on One Shot? This is my first time, yes. Th- that's crazy to me. Cannot believe it is your first time on One Shot. Jay Bestool. I know, but I'm excited to be here. <laughs> so thank you for having me. Jay, do you have any projects that you might want people to find and know about? Um, at no? the moment, so I used to write for a what is now a defunct kind of pop culture website called The Addison Recorder. Um, after that kind of uh, dried up. I've uh, just been doing stuff on my own website a little bit, hacking 13th Age, running games of Delta Green. Um, so at the moment, just kind of hacking and, and doing fun when things the pop off of the culture side. websites dried up, we <laughs> headed west, hacking at 13th Age, as we did. As we did. I got to ask, what is your favorite plane? I guess this might be similar to the Beastlands, but it's actually uh, in the Cthulhu, in the Mythos games, there was a psychological... Uh, supplement for the 90s Cthulhu, where it delved on the realm of Tindalos. Mm. And it is this horrifying, just completely alien, strange, you know, uh, place, but it became an important part of that setting and of that game. And so the I ran a game with it in it, and it was just fascinating and also terrifying for the players. So it was a lot of fun to explore that, explore the psychology of that between the real world, as well as what happens when, you know, parts of that cross over. So that, yeah, that, I mean, that's great. I really love the Hounds of Tindalos. They're like one of my favorite little Lovecraftian monsters. And they're just a great little thing to kind of, they, they bring in that, that edge of paranoia because whether or not they're going to be present once they've been introduced and you introduce the idea that they never quite give up their quarry, mm-hmm. then there's always a little bit of kind of on edgeness that the players might. Yeah, it's not a question of if it's going to happen. <laughs> it's a question of when. And will we be ready? Awesome. Well, with that, I want to introduce our game master for this week because I get to play in SIG. Um, we have Jason Pitt here. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. My absolute pleasure. Our game master for SIG is going to be the person who designed SIG. Yeah, so I'm super excited to run SIG for one shot because I'm a massive fan of you folks. 
Oh, well, thank you so much, Jason. We, we, we love you. We love the work that you're doing. I've got post-human pathways like 10 feet away from me sitting in my game shelf. I'm very, very excited to have you run a game. So shiny. So sad. Yeah. And before we get started, I think I need to grill James on what his favorite plane is. Oh, because man. he can't escape that question. Ah, that that is a good. Okay, so I I feel like this is a little bit of a cop out answer because I really just like this plane uh, for the name, and it was a huge ongoing joke in one of my games, and like it became central to the plot simply because we loved saying it, and that is the Clockwork Nirvana of Mechanus, <laughs> um, which is. If you're going to visit a plane, it's super boring to go to because, like, it's just orderly. I mean, there are a bunch of cute little clock people there, but really the novelty of that wears off very, very quickly. But it's such an elaborate name. And I insisted that anytime anybody referred to it in universe, they had to call it the Clockwork Nirvana of Mechanus. So that's it. That's why I love it. It's also, it was weirdly tied to, I think, one of the Gauths in um it might have been a lords of madness supplement that i put out but it had this ability that like it had like normal eye rays and one of the eye rays just summoned a monster from the clockwork nirvana of mechanis it's like what a bizarre link i guess we'll make this a thing in the game is that that now this is super important because this gout had this stupid ability but yeah, uh, it's a it's a dumb, great plane. Fantastic. And just before I get started, I'll just ramble on about my favorite plane. Oh, yes, please, Jason. Lore. Lore never changes. I'm super enthusiastic about an idea of a plane of existence that is literally made of knowledge, where literally infinite libraries exist, and each individual book opens up new dimensional spaces. You can open a book full of rooms and trade uh, information and dead languages as your currency. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So yes, let's get started. SIG is a game published by Genesis of Legend Publishing, which is legally uh, distinct and completely independent from Planescape. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but happens to also be a cosmopolitan planar fantasy role-playing game. Let's get started. Mm -hmm. The city is a Mobius strip, floating through the multiplanar void. It's the nexus of all the verse, where the eternal planes and infinite primes intersect. It's a place where monsters come to scheme and gods come to die. We call it Sig, the city between. Any basher or random wanderer can wind up in this mad and glorious metropolis if they stumble across the right key. It's a place of multiversal trade, cultural exchange, and mixed blood. Can explore the cities you see fit. I don't judge much. Just take care you don't bend the rules too much or offend the wrong power. There's plenty of dark secret lurking, waiting to teach you hard lessons. Sig's a free city, you see. It's like a twisted ribbon, so you can keep walking the strip till your feet fall off without finding an end. It spins around the infinite planes, brushing close to each in turn, and time's getting the tether. Sig's always bound to three planes at a time, and the competing interests make for a lot of interesting visitors. Various explorers, refugees, and soldiers flood onto our cobblestone streets. If you want to stick around, though, you better talk to the paper guard before the enforcers catch you. If you want to stick around, though, you better talk to the paper guard before the enforcers catch you. There's all sorts of factions that run things around the city, from the Herald Guild to the Dust Keepers. They do important work when they aren't busy knifing each other in the alleys. 
The factions are proxies for the planes that back them, which means you tend to get three of them causing trouble any given day. Word to the wise, try to avoid guild politics unless you want a long stay with the tranquil god. While I'm at it, you better stop staring at those bloody hooded cultists in the corner. You're starting to attract attention, and you don't want servitors of some planar power on your bad side. Tritonius has been flooding the the streets. Tritonius has been flooding the streets with his bloody fishermen ever since the plane of water got the tether, and they're not the kind you want to take home to mother. Look, I'm no racist, but I saw one of them bite someone's head clean off a couple weeks back. I like my head; makes it easier to wear my hat. So yeah. The bloody factions and powers have their damned turf wars, and we're stuck in the middle. Lucky for us, they all care more about grabbing the primes than tearing up the streets. When they find a gate to a prime, they send their people through and set up a beachhead for greater invasion. The more primes they seize, the more powerful their home plane becomes. Of course, we inevitably get clueless bashers who get the brilliant idea of going the other way through one of those lovely gates. Well, welcome to the mythical city of Sig, kid. Now give me your coin, or you ain't gonna see much more of it. (laughs) <laughs> in order to speed things up, we have a set of three characters available for people. You can all, of course, make your own, which is super fun. For Try the keep sake of time, fast. yeah. Exactly. So, I we have three characters, and uh, each of you can claim one. We have Jard the Pious, a cleric. We have Kagra the Gentle, a hive guard. And we have Dessa the Shadow Broker, a spy. I think I'm going to take Jard the Pious. Your choice. Go with uh, Death of the Shadow Broker. And I'll take Kagra the Gentle. Characters have a handful of things that set them apart. First, they're defined by beliefs. These are fundamental, uh, subjective, and controversial opinions that they hold that they're trying to explore and challenge and play. Because beliefs are the fabric that makes up the verse. So your beliefs really matter, and when you change beliefs you actually change which tethers are bound to the city of Sig. Okay. So you want to be experiencing things that support or refute the things your character believes in. Each of you has two of three beliefs already prepared, and we'll create another one at the table. You also have attributes, which are either spark or smoke. They help you when you're trying to determine uh, what dice you're rolling in conflicts and other situations. We've got talents. These are things that are informed by your professional background and your family heritage. Some of them are mundane, like hunting. Others are a tad more obscure, like wild sorcery. So these are combined in interesting ways to help you do things in uh, the story and in conflicts. But your character is primarily defined by three things. Their heritages factions, and powers. For instance, PK, why don't you read out the heritages that Kagra the Gentle has? All right. Kagra's parents are Azel the Sharp, Feral, and Gruth Bearkin, also Feral. This means that you are a pure-blooded Feral. Now, Feral are all of the half-animal hybrid creatures that wander through the verse. Okay. So, Minotaurs, Centaurs... Harpies, etc. They sometimes fix to the same uh, shapes day after day. Sometimes they shift. Meh. Um, you are also a member of a faction. That is the League of Exterminators. Uh, my duty is to eliminate vermin and pests, and my leverage is transport vermin anywhere I wish. So, 
this means that you are working for the League of Exterminators, or as I uh, tend to call them, the League of Exterminator Gentlemen. Your faction, like every faction, does two things in the setting. It does something that helps the city, and then it abuses its power to win over and um, fight with the other factions. So they are extremely useful when, say, faith slugs are infesting a corner. They also might drop these on God Street just to cause havoc if someone pissed them off. Now, you've also got a power. Kestrana the Harvester, uh, with the devotion to never refuse to offer hospitality to the guest, and a ritual, the hungry petition bestows you with an abundance of food and drink. All right. So, James, tell me about your character. All right. So, for my heritages, I have... So, this is Jard the Pious. Yes, this is Jard the Pious, who is a cleric. Um, my heritage, I have Alaya Gondotir. Gondo, Gondotir. Gondotir. Okay, well, yeah, you could say it the right way, I guess. <laughs> uh, who's a primal human, and I've got Bjorn the Brave, uh, who is ancestral. For my faction, I, I believe this is my favorite aspect of this character, I am of the cleaners. I care for the sick and dispose of the trash, which literally means I am a garbage man. <laughs> and doctor. And doctor. But even better, my powers, I have Adana of the Pact, Never break a contract, I, I guess make contracts with people, which ties into my deep talents, uh, religious law. So I am a doctor garbage man who is also a lawyer. Uh, I believe that show <laughs> will be on ABC next year. Oh, that was the next uh, podcast for the One Shot Network. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Let's just say they always pay their medical bills. Oh, yeah, they must. <laughs> All right, so I have Dessa the Shadow Broker, who is a spy. That's that's the listed profession, although I will say, as someone who once upon a time was a journalism major way back when, this character really appeals to me in so many ways. <laughs> uh, the heritages that Dessa has is uh, Vera the Tinkerer and Baron Twiceborn, who are both gnomes. So therefore, I am a gnome. Um, I get to have fun with kind of illusory magic and crafting things that may or may not exist. I feel like I'm in Neverland. My faction is the Sig Gazetteer, which I am very excited for. So I am a journalist. Now that uh, comes with the good and bad. So my duty is to provide investigative journalism, which is very important. Leverage, of course, is that uh, I can focus critical media coverage and tabloid journalism. So, you know, <laughs> uh, as you said, the twin sides of... You can do that for duty or for personal gain. Uh, my power is channeled through Fairlux the Whisperer. Uh, because I'm devoted, direct lies are forbidden. However, <laughs> omissions are perfectly fine and even encouraged. You know, it's the uh, Ben Kenobi. <laughs> um, and my ritual is the right of rumor implants ideas that a target, they heard from someone. They don't remember who, but they heard about it. I'm enjoying this character already. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So now that we've got our characters out there, let us go through and prepare the beliefs. So uh, to start off, each character and the setting has a set of beliefs. Uh, these are fundamental questions that they're, that they're struggling with. For instance, at the start of play, uh, we wind up having three beliefs for the setting. This is because the... City of Sig is bound to the 
elemental plane of flame, whose belief says that passion is incorruptible. The conceptual uh, plane of lore that says knowledge is power. And the ideological plane of destruction that says power is its own reward. So I'm trying to constantly bring these into play as the GM and get at situations that either support or refute these. What we're going to do is I'm going to ask each of you to read out your two beliefs that are currently baked on your character sheet, and then we'll create a third belief for each of your characters. PK, what are your beliefs? My beliefs are only the dead need tears and words never solve problems. All right. I've got no God is greatest and faith must be earned. And I seem to be uh, opposed to uh, PK's character because I believe that secrets are living things and that kindness is the true strength. Fantastic. Mm. So everyone's going to make a third belief that works as somewhat of a counterpoint, something that is related to their family or their uh, political faction or their faith, typically. Um, now, beliefs are always controversial, subjective declarations. So, for instance, greed is good. The ends justify the means. Anything that uh, could start a bar fight in if you went into the wrong bar, is a fantastic belief. Um, and it's really good if it's actually contradicting your beliefs or the beliefs of other uh, characters, because that causes all sorts of fun, dramatic situations. My last one, I think I, I'm, I'm actually pinning on one of my professions, and, and that is the cleaners. Uh, everything is disposable. That is fantastic. Uh, just checking, everything and everyone? Sure. Just, just, okay. <laughs> Literally everything under the nine suns that float around this weird planar world, everything's disposable. Fantastic. Uh, mine's kind of uh, from an old uh, adage. Use illusions to get at the truth. That is literally the motto for Paracos and Press is using lies to tell the <laughs> truth. That's very funny. Uh, so... My third belief is balance isn't natural. It requires guidance. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So those are three strong beliefs. So for the listening audience, uh, we actually have a sheet in the middle of the table that lists off all of these beliefs. And all of our, our fine players will be writing in their beliefs under the entries so that we can all look at the sheet and keep track of what's going on. What was the phrasing on yours, Chase? Uh, we use illusions to tell the truth. All right. Now that we've got all of those on the sheet, I'm going to put down influence, which make a delightful rattling noise. Right. Uh, and are uh, these gem-like resin shapes that we can use as tokens. Because influence is the most important resource when you're playing this game. You get influence when you confront your own beliefs, either by supporting or refuting them, and you have to explore all of the various elements of your character uh, before these refresh and you get an opportunity to get more. So it's a cooperative situation of helping your friends explore more about themselves. So. And we've got one left over. Fantastic. 
now that we've got that done, I'm also going to hand each of these fine players two influence apiece to get things started. Perfect. Excellent. And I also get influence to keep track of what I'm doing. Uh, so I have one per player. All right. So with that under control, next we get to make faces. We are all playing characters in a community. That is to say, each of you is connected to various NPCs who make up the city, who have their own needs, uh, their own, own desires, their own dreams. So the way that we do this is, similar to Fiasco, we are going to set up an index card between each neighboring pair of people. So, one between PK and James, one between J and James, and one between J and PK. Each of you is going to look at your sheet and pick either one of your parents' heritages, your faction, or your power, and write it on the index card with your with one neighbor, mm -hmm. and then do the same on your other neighbor. This is the thing that you, your character has in common with this NPC. So, for instance, if you're if uh, the NPC between James and PK had League of Exterminators, then both that character would belong to the League of Exterminators. And that's how they know PK, through this sort of professional relationship. It could also be family. Um, it's pretty common. So I, I put on uh, Mine Between Me and Jay, uh, Adana of the Pact, we have an agreement. Um, who knows what that agreement is? Fantastic. Since James is playing the pious character, I have Kistrana the Harvester, my power down between us perfect so with uh the NPC between me and james is it's a friend or family member a fellow gnome that is uh uh tied to idana of the pact fantastic okay and since pk's I, I think i'm gonna use this primal human heritage uh that i've got here the one that i can't pronounce alaya <laughs> and the npc that's shared between pk and myself I'm going to use uh, Feralux the Whisperer. Yeah, direct lies forbidden. Fantastic. All right. So now that we've got the... Uh, we know where the connections are coming from. I'd like to find out a little bit more about them. So, uh, if two characters share a heritage, describe what kind of familial relationship they hold. So, let's start with Jay. Mm-hmm. So, I imagine... Let's see. Maybe this is... You know what I'm going to say since um, I'm feeling uh, that, that my character Dessa is a female gnome, that this is her twin brother. Who, Fantastic. Uh, ooh, okay. So just write down twin brother. All right. We have another heritage over here, I believe. Yes, we do. Let's see. I am going to say well, primal human ferals. Okay. Humans can mate with anyone. Perfect. I, I want to say that uh, PK and I are cousins. Because Alaya um, w was, you know, married to a feral. Fantastic. All right. Now, if two characters share a faction, describe what shared event bound them together. Were they working together on a project to interfere with a rival faction? Did they lose a friend in a terrible childhood accident? Or were they childhood friends who joined the guild together? Um, I think that uh, as a reporter, you are probably working with the League of Exterminators, uh, or we have engaged you to sort of get some good press 
Uh, because while we perform an important function, we don't necessarily have the best um, reputation in the city. So is this NPC your PR firm? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's our, our that's the that's the mouthpiece that um, that uh, Dessa goes to to get uh, her stories. Look, do you want carrying crawlers? <laughs> pretty much. No one does. Let us deal with this for you. <laughs> All right. So that makes sense. Uh, we have another faction somewhere at the table. Um, I don't know I that we have factions. Okay, yeah. cool. Fantastic. And for powers, how do your spiritual perspectives differ? Do you disagree on a matter of obscure theology? Does one of them question the devotion of the other? Is one of them living in defiance of the power's tenets? Well, I, I think uh, the power situation between Jay and I is, is pretty unique. Um, because we've got Adana of the Pact, and Adana makes deals and holds sacred bonds between people. So I think Jay and I have an agreement going. Um, Note that this is a character that you. Oh, this uh, is that the character. So, so Jay's Jay's twin brother and yep. I have yes. have some sort of very important agreement. Uh, Jay, I want you to weigh in on this. What sort of trouble do you think they're in that they need to go to a garbage man doctor lawyer for help um i imagine that my twin brother may have actually joined the cleaners and doesn't know that it's really for him but he's kind of he's made his pacts he's made his bed he essentially has to be part of the cleaners uh but he's always kind of going to me and coming to me to say to talk to them and and uh you know he's having a crisis of faith and you're the person that you're you know they're the mentor or tutor or whatever initiates have mm -hmm. to go through before they can become full members so you're kind of his uh his mentor and so we we have a discussion of of that uh obviously i'm looking out for my brother but obviously he has made this pact that he cannot break mm -hmm. uh, so i imagine our relationship is is kind of how can we work together so that poor silly young names will come later okay <laughs> yeah personally what's his name you know Maybe having his young regrets. He he doesn't know if he's really found his way, but he's already signed away his life. That's fine. Faith has to be earned. This wouldn't be... There we go. This wouldn't be faith if there wasn't a crisis. Fantastic. All right. And so we have our mutual aunt, Alaya, under Kestrana the Harvester. Um, what is the Harvester's tenets again, BK? Uh, the Harvester's tenets are never refuse to offer hospitality to a guest. And the hungry petition bestows you with an abundance of food and drink. Now, wow. if you don't pay, <laughs> uh, one fun thing with all the powers. All the powers offer you a ritual. You get some benefit. But if you don't pay influence, there's a side effect. The hungry petition will create a giant banquet. But Kestrana is a uh, two-double-aspected, two-faced goddess mm -hmm. who is both the harvest and the reaping. So if you don't pay influence, Kestrana will slay someone, an innocent bystander, in order to be able to produce the feast, okay. to maintain the balance. So knowing that, and that sort of defines our relationship, our mutual relationship to this NPC, Elia? Yeah, well, I was sort of looking at your um, your belief that no god is greatest. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe Elia is... Um, all in on Kistrana or uh, whoever whoever this uh, 
NPC is mm-hmm. is all, all in on that, and that might be a source of contention uh, between the two of you. Okay, yeah, I, I think I think that makes sense since I, since you're sort of playing the field, as it were. Yeah, she she found she found Castrana the Harvester recently and has been going real hard on uh, you know pushing Castrana on the rest of the family, and it's a dangerous thing. It's a very very dangerous thing. So I'm trying to stand against that. Fantastic. And Fair looks the whisperer. Fair looks the whisperer. So I, I imagine uh, the reason that this individual may have been made the mouthpiece uh, to the press is because uh, they're probably a rather blunt. Um, they take the direct lies are forbidden to the extreme, and they kind of forget the omissions are encouraged mm. aspect of Feralux. And I think, in fact, sometimes, because the, the power talks about the right of rumor where you can implant an idea, and if you don't pay influence, that idea kind of gets out of hand as uncontrollable. It spreads a little too far, a little too uncontrollably. So I think that this is, I almost see this as like a thinking suddenly, you know, you know, the character of Hamilton from the musical where it's always says what's on their mind. And so I imagine even the league sometimes is like, all right, you just go talk to them. And my relationship then to the league is that I kind of take that and I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll filter that. It's okay. I'll filter that. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm glad to have you as a filter for like the gossip reporting. Because <laughs> it's not like this is hard hitting journalism. This is like... A secret cabal of people who <laughs> have decided to only tell the truth in a gossip rag magazine, which is fantastic. Fantastic. So I will just take those cards from you. Alrighty. Now, normally we would uh, collaboratively create a bit more about these characters, but in the interest of time, I have a list of potential NPCs. Alrighty. Uh, names and uh, and their strengths. All right, so now we've matched up all of the fantastic characters you've created with the pregen uh, templates. So, between Jay and James is Hassan the Humble. Hassan has a strength in kindness and divine favor, but is suffering under deep depression, potentially due to the whole signed on to the uh, to the pact before reading the text. Mm-hmm. issue um so hassan is a gnome who is worshiping edana of the pact we have talix copperhead a poisoner alchemist and addict connecting jard and kagra so yeah that's a thing by the way a Zealous alchemist poisoner is not a great thing to have on your bad side. No. Especially when they're an addict and possibly a little um, unhinged. Just a little. What Um, kind of a career is that? A poisoner. You do one thing. For the exterminators, I imagine that's rather useful. I I was going to say, it's a perfectly legitimate profession. Mm. (laughs) Um, you never have to clean any of it up. That's what they have you for. Yeah, I, <laughs> you have a profession. We, we exterminate. You dispose. <laughs> um, and last but certainly not least is Nantir the Ashen, a resilient and ancient being who meddles constantly. This is the uh, PR agent for the League of Exterminators uh, interacting with our lovely journalist, Dessa. Indeed, I see uh, uh, Nantir again. Is the just kind of keeps talking, 
and it's the agreement between Kagir, uh, Kagra, Kagra, and Dessa is that Nantir keeps talking, and I'll I'll filter it out. It's cool. I'll filter it out. <laughs> so Nantir is one of the Silva. So tree people. Nantir is the most talkative ent you'll ever find. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Same length of conversation, just ten times the number of words within it. Oh my god. I feel that sometimes uh, uh, Dessa possibly kind of creates an illusion that she's still there listening while I'm kind of moving off just getting things written. <laughs> going and then step back into my illusion like, oh, got it. The Silva also have this lovely habit of accidentally leaving forests in their wake. <laughs> yeah. You know who has to clean those up? <laughs> Your doctors and lawyers. <laughs> I said it, I feel it keeps you uh, in profession because then uh, maybe there is litigation over, you know, this improperly placed tree. Oh, you ha you don't know the half of it. A couple years back, there was an ant who was classified as a national forest. And everywhere they walked, we couldn't touch it. It was a nightmare. Now we get started. There is one other character in the middle who all of you are. Uh, have a relationship with that would be little Yuna the orphan. <laughs> little Yuna, oh Yuna, who's she's cute sick? A... She's sick, bro. Who's cute as a button? I mean, she's that's her, her aspect. She's cute as a button. I mean, I have to. Oh, and strong with sharp knives. And okay, moral. <laughs> oh, like, oh, right here. <laughs> Yuna. <laughs> I imagine I have a grudging respect for her as well. She has a uh, promising career with the exterminators. Yeah, imagine I have a grudging everything for her. <laughs> and Yuna's missing. Oh, that's not that's good. the oh, problem. That's not good. I'd like to make sure I can see where she is. Yeah, if she's not in line of sight, something something disastrous <laughs> is happening. Wait a minute, what's going on around here? The sort of person if she's not in line of sight, you start getting itchy between your shoulder blades. <laughs> Let's get started on the first scene. The way that we create scenes is collaborative. Everyone at the table will look at their character sheet. Mm -hmm. I have my own character sheet. Uh, and you'll look for your smoke attribute. Quick overview. Spark represents all of your protagonist's uh, ability to interact with the world. Smoke is instead how much the world itself reacts based on their desires. So the higher the smoke, the more fortunate you are, the more likely that things will uh, unroll in a way that is favorable towards your character. Everyone, pick the die associate the highest filled-in die on your character sheet associated with smoke. Because I am Cheaty McCheaterson, the what? GM starts with a smoke of D12. What? What? That's twice my smoke. <laughs> <laughs> so we roll... Oh boy. I oh got a boy. one. Uh, three. <laughs> All right. Whenever you frame a scene, there are three distinct elements that you create a platform, a tilt, and a question. The platform is done first and it establishes where it, uh, the scene takes place, when it is, etc. Uh, this allows you to flash forward, flash back, um, and determine who's in the scene in general. It, think of it as a Polaroid. The tilt is the first 
10 seconds of action. Something is going on that is forcing your characters to interact. This is why the camera is focusing in on this scene instead of five minutes ago. The question is something that you are trying to discover and determine through play. Okay. So in descending order, the top three people get to claim one of these three things, and then we'll resolve it in order of platform tilt question. So to get things started, I'm going to claim the platform. So the next highest is Jay. Which would you like, the tilt or the question? I'll do the tilt. Fantastic, and you have the question. Yep. So, this scene is going to start in a quarter of the city known as the Breeding Warrens. This is the worst of the worst areas of Sig. The wealthy and fortunate only have friendly slimes living above their houses. <laughs> it is where they shove the orphanarium because who cares about orphans and this is the domain that has been under the protection of yuna the orphan and is no longer under the protection of yuna the orphan so tilt i think what happens to start this off is that there is a member of the exterminators that is found by the cleaners found dead in uh, the breeding warrens and by knife wound. So suddenly Yuna's not there. And is this a dead body she left? How many knife wounds? Only two. That's uncharacteristic of Yuna. I know. How often is Yuna murdering people? <laughs> I think since she's protecting the, uh, the people who no one cares about, no one really knows. Everyone assumes that it happens. But at the same time, a lot of times when she does you know, use extreme uh, measures. She's very demonstrative about it. Got it. I was going to say, I don't necessarily think that murder is Yuna's MO. Mm -hmm. um, basically a lot of flesh wounds and then, you know, boots somebody in the ass to get them out of the, out of the quarter. Got it. So maybe the cleaners find them as they're bleeding out, but they usually can save them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not to mention, you rub some slime in the wounds. It'll just sting <laughs> for days. So, what is the question, PK? This can be straightforward and obvious of, where's Una? Mm -hmm. Or it can be uh, far more subtle and uh, will jarred reconcile with italics. It all depends on what you are interested in seeing. Okay. So, I'm actually kind of wondering, I'm going to give it a bit of a, a film noir twist. What was a member of the Exterminators doing here anyway? This is basically just an abandoned sector. We don't, yeah, we don't touch it. Like it's just whatever. There are slimes; they they do their thing. They're not bothering anyone except the orphans, like and the refugees. Well, you know, they're 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 not true Sigians, You know that that's that's totally fair. And I mean, this is where you dump half of your vermin, anyways. Right? Yeah. So I'm just, why was he here in the first place? I think that bears investigation. Fantastic. So, because we've got connections to the plane of destruction, the plane of flame, and the plane of lore, everything is on fire. <laughs> um, this quarter is actually one of the least flame-touched quarters in the entire city. In that, it's all ash. Caked on, occasionally animate ash. 
that crawls along the walls and occasionally eats people. Now, you will occasionally find interesting um, shapes and sigils get carved out in the wake of these ash slugs. So you'll occasionally get some scholars from the uh, the wise who come by and try to divine some secrets of the Plain of Ooze from the leavings of the ash slugs. But they've had a couple of them eaten in, in recent memory, so they kind of stopped that habit. So, flickering light in the distance, ever-present smoke, and the occasional raptor scream from above your heads. Um, as, uh, who would like to be in this scene at the get-go? I think I'm there. I feel like I discovered the body. Yeah, if he discovered the body, I think I would be uh, sent by the exterminators to sort of figure out what's going on and be uh, the their person there. Right, and since I'm the one who kind of interacts with Nantir about what the official line is, then I'd be then right after you're called, you you know, Nantir tells me in so many words that I should go to this place. All right. So you find the dragon whose throat has been slit and who has been opened up by what are clearly very sharp knives. It's curled around a defunct fountain and the oozes are continuing to reach out and sort of lap at the body. What do you do? I figured somebody from the guild should come by before the slugs have their way with it. Uh, do you know him? Yeah. You said it was a dragon? Yep. Hmm. That's Balthrax. Hateful son of a bitch. But a fantastic appetite. Oh, he was he was good at his job. Do, do you know, he, dragons can eat damn near anything. Man, could, and, and have. Uh, yeah, he could, he could get some of the most troublesome vermin. Just gobble them up. Take care of it that way. He once ate an owlbear. You know how big an owlbear is? I assumed it was mostly feathers. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, I don't... I've, I've never weighed an owlbear, so I don't know. They're huge, though. Nine yeah, feet big. tall. Yeah, this... an inch. Does this look like someone almost tried to field dress this dragon? Well, we said it's only two wounds, right? So... Because no. here and here, right? So it's like mm. they started... I imagine this is, again, Dessa going over and kind of while they're talking, just going, I'm going to poke at it. Just kind of look at, I don't necessarily know a lot about forensics or what would pass forensics, but of course I have to know. Hmm. It's a good thing you have a doctor lawyer. <laughs> well, yeah, and, well, when he gets if, over here, I guess. Yeah, but I'm just if, gonna... you're, if you're asking about field dressing, that would be, that'd be Congress. Right, figure okay. why I asked out loud, kind of. Mm-hmm. Huh. To, to discover truths about it, do we make... Uh, checks with our talents? Or? So, how it works is, you declare what is happening. And if anyone at the table disagrees on that, on what should come from that, then we start a conflict. Usually just say, we are in conflict, and we pull out the dice. Okay. So, be bold and say what you discover, and if I want to complicate things, uh, I will trigger that. Okay. So, yeah, you bring up the, the possibility that might have been field dressed. Hmm. Huh. That makes me think of something. And Cogger's going to go up and rip open 
the dragon's neck where it's been sort of slit vertically and root around in there for a while. And we are in conflict. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, in conflict, each of us says the thing, the outcome that we would like. Mm -hmm. Other people can weigh in if they can help one side or the other, either through their clear knowledge of the situation or through some kind of physical action. So, if you win, what would you like the outcome to be? Uh, I would like to find that a vital part of the dragon's anatomy, something that is uh, potentially magical, is missing. Fantastic. I would like the portion of the dragon's anatomy that is missing to be replaced by a squirming bladed thing about the size of your head. Ooh. That uh, slices deeply into your hand and latches on. Now, would we like the dice? Can't or would you like to always concede? get what you want. <laughs> uh, let's Feel go free to, the to dice. concede and just uh, just give me what I want. It's fine. <laughs> I, think, I think we go to the dice. I agree with PK. Yeah. I feel like going seems- to the dice is yeah. probably the right move. <laughs> squirming bladed thing does not sound wonderful it's not so much that i just really love the idea of magical dragon body parts Mm -hmm. that's 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 always been one of my favorites all right so pick the appropriate attribute because you're doing something directly it's spark yay because i'm using an npc who is not one of the faces or a power i'm using smoke Uh, So, I'm rolling a d12. Now, because of how the GM works, I don't have any talents to add in. Mm -hmm. I roll big dice, but that's it. Gotcha. By contrast, you have some talents that will help you. Yeah. So, let's roll, and then we'll add in the talents. Sure. So, I rolled an 8. All right. I rolled a 7, but I'm thinking that... uh, my hunting experience of field field dressing, gutting, butchering uh, would come in handy here, and that's how I know what to look for. Uh, that is one of my common talents, uh, which would add a plus two. That is fantastic. So, right now, you are winning. I could choose to weaken my hold, suffering harm to my smoke attribute, if I wanted to get an extra edge. If I really cared deeply about what was going on here, I could do this. Likewise, you could do that. Um, For instance, you could say that you cut your hand on a rib and take harm to to your spark attribute, temporarily weakening you for an additional plus two. Hmm. You can also spend your influence for an additional plus one. But because you dealt with this fair and square and... The fact that you also have a deep talent of razor claws. So even if there was something squirming, you could slice and dice it uh, masterfully. I'll let you have it. So describe exactly what you find. So one of the things that dragons develop as they get older is sort of a, uh, it's called a dragon pearl. And it's, a uh, a bone that breaks off after adolescence, uh, and but continues to accumulate minerals and everything, and grows to be quite large by the time you have a full elder dragon. 
Uh, but in a, a dragon this size, it's you know probably only maybe the size of a golf ball. Uh, but they are highly prized as a uh, as a magical um, uh, ingredient and also uh, very very pretty. They're uh, opalescent uh, uh, gem like things, and that is missing. And fun fact, random trivia: dragon pearls are the enamel is made of souls. Mm. And another fun fact, <laughs> they're illegal. You, can, you 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 can't outlaw someone's anatomy. You can That's... outlaw the harvesting and trade of someone's anatomy though. Well, yes, because it involves murder. No, it involves illegal trade. It involves illegal trade, which is 10 times as important as murder. This is why I hate laws. It's nothing but words. Is, so are the souls that this collect based upon how many lives the dragon has taken? Pretty much. And we have an exterminator dragon. That's <sighs> taken a lot of souls. Even though this is a relatively small creature, it could be a powerful object. And goodness knows, I, if uh, the right conditions are met and another murder should take place in front of it, they'd be able to collect the souls from that, too. Somebody could be walking around with their little portable soul battery, which is why they're illegal. I mean, so, I'm not opposed to that. I'm just saying your rationale is inane. <laughs> Trade is more illegal than murder. God, Take that up with Adana. Take so that up with Adana. That's not me. That's the law. An execution, illegal harvesting of organs in a part of town where their protector is missing. Yeah, technically, a murder that takes place here isn't illegal. However, stealing the pearl, that is illegal. So I guess the question I have is, do we, I mean, do we need to figure out more about this, uh, the the pearl? I mean, do we know someone who has information about this kind of alchemical or whatnot? I think, I, I, I know very little, but I think exploring that is a very good idea after all, considering who's missing, goodness knows what could be done with a soul battery like that. I think I might know somebody who might know a thing or two about alchemy. Oh. And, oh, oh, and no. in the shadows, yeah. you see little orphan eyes, ash-covered faces staring at you. Hey, come over here. Come over here. Come to Jard. That'll be one coin. All right, I'll pay coin. They Two. Ten of them scamper up. The orphan Eight. who saw what happened. We all saw what happened, or none of us saw what happened. Solidarity. I like that. Okay. Are, they, are, are the orphans <laughs> unionizing? <laughs> it's always been a union, just never formal. And we lost our foreman. <laughs> He opens up his meager coin purse. Jard pulls out uh, some copper pieces and uh, passes them down to the orphans. But right before the last one takes it, he holds the last copper piece and goes, It's only complete if you tell the story first. If one of you should wimp out, this orphan doesn't get to eat. And you're going to have to deal with that in the meetings later. Uh, one of the uh, herpy orphans is just looking at you. You know what? His eyes look delicious. Yep, yep. Ooh, dibs on his spleen. Listen, kids. 
You don't want to <laughs> get it. The circle move closer to you. I deal with death every day. I know how to put people back together, and I know how they fall apart. So you can tell me the information, go home with a copper piece, and everyone's happy. Or we can spend our afternoon kicking orphans. <laughs> so, this sounds like a conflict. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, what would you like? I would like the orphans to reconsider their situation and back down uh, so that we can get our information and uh, go on to deal with our lovely Talix, the Poisoner. So, I would be, and I'd be rolling my spark for this, correct? Correct. All right. Uh, and the orphans want your respect. Oh, okay. Well. Good luck prying that yeah. out of my <laughs> it has cold, to be earned. You have thing I can never give. <laughs> You'll have to pry that out of my cold, dead fingers. All right. I got an eight. I got a three. It's pretty clear that your words have some power. Also might be the fact that you're double their height. Also, they're starving. And the look of Kagura menacing them is probably also convincing them to <laughs> some extent. Okay, mister. Just look. Someone wanted us to call in the exterminators. Someone? It was this nice man. He looked like a really kind, generous soul. And he he came by. And, I mean, he was he was short like Yuna. I think he said it was his, Yuna's cousin or something. But that's strange. I mean, Yuna never said she had a cousin. but So they uh, orphan? Uh, yeah, but, I mean, there's orphan and there's orphan. My family kicked me out of the nest when I was two. Yeah, we get a lot of those. So, I mean, he came by and he was saying that, you know, these there slugs in the in the fountain were real dangerous business. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they could grow exponentially. Exponentially? They grow big quick. I mean, you nailed it with exponentially. I don't know why you're so... So, they... They... He, this nice little gnome recommended we call in the enforcers. So he was here. a gnome. Uh, Definitely a gnome. Not the enforcers. We pay it up this week, this month. Yeah, Gnomes. so... Uh, and then this giant dragon came wandering into the neighborhood. And then Yuna was there. Mm-hmm. And, well, let's and? just say, points at scorch marks all around. We kind of ran. All right, so a dragon flaps its way into the neighborhood. A dragon that you and your friends hire on the advice of a friendly-seeming stranger who's a gnome. And you scatter when the dragon arrives. Yuna's Look, there, have then you been what happened? lit on fire by a dragon before? So the dragon attacked you? No, the dragon and Yuna had a... had words. Had words, but did you not offer the payment that was agreed upon beforehand? Well, the the nice gnome said that uh, the Church of Adana was covering it. Okay, well, that's... that's new information. The Church of Adana was covering this contract? Apparently. We Who made the contract? Was it Yuna, or was it one of you punks? Uh, 
contract? The, 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 the nice gnome said that contract. said that the exterminators are paid up by Edena. Who called the exterminators? We we called the exterminators like the gnome wanted. Yeah, but would all of you? Well, well, we we sent a couple of our runners. Do we have a runner here? Can I talk to a runner? Well, they've they've also gone missing. Okay, that happens from okay. Time to time. So we've got the people who were involved in this deal missing. Yuna apparently got into a conflict with an exterminator who landed after being called and then caused all this. If an exterminator arrives somewhere and they don't have payment, they just leave, right? That's the plan. And we have whoever instigated this, just some nice gnome from the Church of Adana, seemingly, also not identified. Okay. He takes that last coffer piece and hands it to the last orphan. I want you all to know, before we leave here, that I do not respect you. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. (laughs) We're used to it. It's cold, Jard. It's real cold. It's what they wanted, and they did not get it. Um, It's the rule of the universe. And and as as he's saying, as, you know, Jard is saying that... uh, Dessa kind of has fished out a couple more coppers and is just, you know, surreptitiously out of his sight giving them to them. Because kindness is the true strength. You actually find you start to do this and your purse has already been kindly donated to the orphans who are huddling close to you. And you say, and I just say, <laughs> you're welcome. Excellent. Um, so... Sounds like we've finished this scene. We've answered the question of the scene. Mm-hmm. Why did the exterminator come to this neck of the woods? Because he was called. Boy. He was offered a contract. It was frame up. Total, total shady contract. All yeah, right. It's not even that good a frame job, too, which is the worrying thing. Well, I mean, they didn't need a fall guy. They needed a dragon pearl. Yeah, and they left enough vagary to be wondering what is going on and who did this. It just seems like such an obvious job to to kill the dragon. Like, it was just an excuse to get him here. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, now that we've finished off the scene, there's a reflection phase. So, if anyone had taken harm, we could go through a fun thing called interludes. But you That'll folks are far later, too successful. I'm sure. <laughs> so, we go through the various beliefs and see if these have been challenged. Or uh, supported. So, plane of flame. Passion is incorruptible. Did people think I I hit that? We hit that? We ran into that in play? Or not? If anyone says, nah, not sure, then no. I think that one's probably not. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Power is its own reward. Well, certainly somebody is doing some weird yeah. hijinks here. For... I think that is going to blossom yeah, later it, on. I feel like it got touched on, yeah. All right, but that's going to blossom later on. So let's leave it. Knowledge is power. I think this definitely. This happened. is yeah. That was the focus yeah. of the scene. Ding. So I take the influence off the influence sheet from Death of the Shadow Broker. Why don't you read through yours? So secrets are living things. Oh boy, I feel like we're encountering <laughs> secrets right now. Uh huh. It's leaving its ashy slime trail full of runes. 
why don't you take that influence? Because I'm fairly certain you supported that. <laughs> yeah. Kindness is true strength. Oh, absolutely. They totally were. Your posthumous <laughs> generosity has absolutely... Uh, excellent. And the third? Uh, we use illusions to tell the truth. Not quite no, yet. yet. No. So you'll want to hit that in a new in a future scene. Yep. Kagra. All right. Only the dead need tears. Um, I don't really think so. There was somebody dead, but nobody crying. Yeah, there was nobody crying. Uh, words never solve problems. I don't know. They we had a like word solve problems. <laughs> words kind of solve problems here. Fair enough. And then balance isn't natural. It requires guidance. Not sure on Not that. Not quite yeah. yet. Nope. So why don't you take the one for words and never solve problems? Okay. So I've got no god is greatest, and I don't think we really referenced any gods. So Adana was brought up. There's but, a connection, but yeah, but I, I feel like again that's that's a seed that's sown and will blossom later. Then there's faith must be earned, which I also feel like was hinted at, but not really part of the scene. Then finally we have everything is disposable. And I feel like yes, yes. yes. <laughs> that is most certainly supported in this scene. Fantastic. So, because we've handed out some influence, people around the table and listeners at home will see, in quotation marks, that there's far fewer beliefs that have influence on them. This means that we now know what we can focus in on in the future. Well, heroes, that's it for One Shot this week. But don't worry, we'll be back next week with more SIG. Be sure to tune in to our spook-stravagant Halloween specials in the one-shot Twitch stream, Ghost Court at 8 p.m. on October 20th, Pandemic Reign of Cthulhu on October 23rd starting at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, and The Ghost Trackers October 30th starting at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Also, catch our convention appearances at Metatopia in Morristown, New Jersey, November 3rd through 6th, and a Catacon in Dayton, Ohio, November 11th through 13th. One Shot is a proud partner in the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you're an advertiser looking to reach an engaged Chicago audience, be sure to contact the co-op about advertising opportunities. And if you're a listener who wants to find a new show, be sure to check out Improvised Star Trek. Improvised Star Trek is an improvised parody of Star Trek featuring the adventures of the crew of the USS Sisyphus, a slightly less enterprising starship. I've been going through the archives on this one recently, and I have been loving it. As always, a big thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you want to help us in a non-monetary way, the best thing you can do is tell a friend about the show. You can also leave us a rating or review on iTunes. Every five-star review we get helps new people find the show. If you want to hear more from the show, be sure to follow us on Twitter at OneShotRPG. Look us up on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OneShotPod. Check out our Tumblr at OneShotPodcast.tumblr.com. Check out our Google Plus community. Or look for news on the site at OneShotPodcast.com. If you're looking to inquire about advertising rates, live appearances, and commissioning episodes, or you have a question or comment about something you heard on the show, contact us at GameMaster at OneShotPodcast.com. One Shot is a joint production between Peaches and Hot Sauce and Paracosm Press. Peaches and Hot Sauce is a Chicago-based comedy network with tons of great podcasts, videos, and live shows for you to check out at peachesandhotsauce.com. Finally, that music, which is right now swelling up over my voice, is Be Your Own Pet with Adventure, courtesy of Infinity Cat Records. See you next time, heroes! I can't do it.